Welcome to Build a Drone Reviewer Podcast, Episode 20, Tuesday Night Rotor Talk Live, Season 2, Episode 26, Scott Parazinski, FTA Aviator Joystick. Got that coming up next. On July the 2nd, I was privileged to have Scott Parazinski, the CEO of Fluidity Tech, uh, who has just released the FT Aviator, a joystick for drones. Now, Scott has an incredible background as a NASA astronaut on five space shuttle missions, including the most dangerous spacewalk in history, scaled Mount Everest, is a physician, and now a CEO of Fluidity Technologies. Join Scott, Curtis Dart, Ron Brown, Marcus Crawford, and myself as we not only ask Scott about the FT Aviator, but his time as an astronaut. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and play the entire broadcast. Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Night Rotor Talk Live, Season 2, Episode 26. We have a very special guest in the house tonight, and I mean very special guest. And we're going to talk to Scott here in just a minute. just wanted to cover some housekeeping items. We've settled back into our normal spot at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just want to let you know that we had um, we, we tried it at nine o'clock and uh, we're, we're going to settle on the 8 p.m. Eastern Time just to let you know that. Uh, another housekeeping item, a reminder, spin up has gone up, I believe, $25 for, and it's being held October 19th and it will go up another $25 next month. So if you're interested, please make sure that you click on the link and get your tickets. You want to get there because um, there's a limit of 200 people and slots are filling up fast as far as that is concerned. Uh, the other housekeeping item is, is of a personal one. My daughter was due on the 29th. Um, she has not had her baby yet. And if she doesn't have her baby, the baby will be born July 8th. That's when labor will be induced. So we're all we're all saying, having some thoughts and prayers that, that baby will come before then. So with all of that out of the way, I want to introduce our very special guest, Scott Parazinski. Now, Scott is CEO of Fluidity Tech, and he has they have come up with an incredible product called the FT Aviator. Scott also has, has, has probably one of the uh, unbelievable experiences of a lifetime. He has been um, a shuttle astronaut at least, I believe, five times. He's taken eight spacewalks. He's completed what many consider the most dangerous spacewalk ever. Um, he has also climbed Mount Everest, and he's also a physician. So with all of that being said, Scott, if you could just uh, give us a little bit of a brief bio about yourself, and then we'll start with the questions. Well, well, thanks so much for having me on your show, first off, Bill. And uh, you, you actually gave uh, a really nice intro. I'm, I'm flattered uh, uh, to, to have an opportunity to present my company, uh, Fluidity Technologies, and our, our first product, which is the FT Aviator. It's a, a really uh, unique and wonderful way in, uh, in one hand to control all the flight axes of, of your drone. So ultimately, within a few minutes of flying with this thing, flight becomes almost a subconscious uh, act. It's 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 really a lot of fun, but it also gives you a lot more precision, a lot more intuitive control. And so tying this back to my uh, my personal background, you know, I've had the opportunity, the privilege really to uh, you know, fly in space and uh, to work in uh, in a variety of different fields, including medicine and aviation. 
have flown lots of different uh, assets, whether aircraft or robotic arms in space, and seen things that work really, really well, and things that that really struggle. And and actually, the, the genesis of of our product, the FT Aviator, stems from wanting to improve surgical robotics. I, I'd seen uh, the uh, the surgical robotics that are currently in use that require lots and lots of training and are involve these really complex systems, um, I knew that there had to be a better way to move an asset through physical or virtual space. And, uh, and so what came from all that kind of analysis was a, a series of inventions that led to this product, which is uh, uh, the FTA. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it here as part of your show, but uh, it, it puts all of the flight control into a single hand and then it gives you the opportunity with your non-dominant hand to control the camera assets and and the responsiveness of the controller and uh i think folks are really gonna love it That's let me jump in here let me jump in and just kind of back up just one second scott i, I would be in trouble if i didn't ask you some really cool questions about <laughs> the things you've done in your past because my, my guys will be right on top of me <laughs> we're going to talk about the fda there but i'm curious i'm curious to know what was more difficult preparing and emotionally and physically to go into space or preparing emotional and emotionally and physically to go up Mount Everest? Yeah, it's a great question, Curtis. And, uh, you know, they're, they're both, uh, you know, fully, uh, uh, involved, immersive, uh, life-changing experiences. I, I wouldn't trade either one of them for, uh, for anything. You know, I, I feel so lucky to have been able to to go to both of those places, and, and they do require an incredible amount of commitment, both on the individual's part, but also on one's family uh, and friends. But uh, uh, you know, w when we go up into space, there's a there's a, a finite amount of uh, energy, and uh, I would say nervousness about the risk of launch. You know, it's a it's a lot. It's seven million pounds of thrust to get you safely off of the planet. Yeah, and then there's a lot of energy coming back home. Uh, and so, uh, and then there's risk associated with going outside on spacewalks. But I would have to say, uh, being out on on the the slopes of uh, Mount Everest, uh, each and every second of every day, uh, it takes about two months to climb Mount Everest. Um, you feel like you're in harm's way. You're you're cold. Uh, you're running and working at at redline. You're hypoxic. You're dehydrated. Uh, you're you know, um, you really feel the life threat. Uh, the stress is much much higher. I've got to say. Uh, on an Everest expedition because of just the, that uh, ever-present sense of I'm in a place that, uh, you know, people really weren't meant to spend a whole lot of time. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly the answer I expected, but huh? that's, that's some really good insight. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. We appreciate that. Sure. Sure. So Ron and Marcus, go ahead and um, ask Scott some questions. Well, I'll let Marcus go first because he actually has the product almost in hand. Well, uh, soon I did get the email that it, it should ship on July 19th. So I'm, I'm uh, pretty excited about that. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm one of the guys type of flyers that I have a big problem with cross coupling. You know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll try and do a droney or something and inevitably I'm in a, in an inadvertent yaw or, or something like that. Right. So really excited about, uh, flying my Phantom 4 and the Mavic 2 with it. But I have a question, a an astronaut question. Sure. So I know that you flew a lot of missions, and, and you flew on the Atlantis, the Discovery, and the Endeavor. Is there any difference in the hardware of, of, on those, or were they basically duplicates of each other? 
Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting question. Uh, and in fact, uh, all the shuttles were, had subtle differences between them. So the very first uh, orbiter, which is Columbia, uh, that we took to the skies you know, in April of 1981, had more sensor uh, technology built into it because we didn't know how the thermal protection system would work, for example, and it was heavier. Uh, in fact, that very first launch, they actually painted the, the what we know as the orange external tank white uh, for some unknown reason, it was 800 pounds of unnecessary weight. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so there there were very subtle differences between each orbiter, but functionally they they all uh, uh, performed more or less the same way. Um, only uh, someone who was you know, really deep into the the weeds of operations would would be able to tell the differences between them. Yeah. Well, you know, as drone people, we're all, we, we kind of get hardware centric, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the later uh, shuttles, Endeavour was the, the, uh, the, the last addition to the, the shuttle fleet and it was the lightest weight. You know, we had learned how to build uh, shuttles more efficiently. We'd gotten rid of uh, um, areas that weren't necessary. Um, over time, actually, the, the shuttle was enhanced substantially. So we went from, you know, steam gauges, uh, uh, kind of tube technology to uh, electronic displays. Um, but at its, at its core, it was a pretty basic uh, 1970s level uh, operating system. So we had uh, five general purpose computers that, you know, my iWatch my right here has more computing power than uh, one of the GPCs we had on the shuttle. I mean, it, it's, it's really remarkable what they were able to, to condense down uh, into the technology that was available in the late 70s to to launch that complex vehicle yeah and you know i was a child of uh the 60s and and i grew up literally watching the, from the mercury missions to the gemini missions to the apollo missions sitting in front of the black and white tv yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, watching them so you know i'm of that generation that always saw the promise of space travel and one of the things that i've always wondered about is i i always thought that by the turn of the century, by the year 2000, shoot, for sure there would have been people living and working on the moon and and maybe even mining asteroids and who knows what else. Uh, you know, why why hasn't that, I'm just interested in your opinion why that never took place. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed too, I'll be honest. I, I can say that now that I'm no longer wearing a blue suit and I don't have to, have to directly represent the agency. I, I think, um, you know, I think what's happened with the International Space Station program is wonderful and we're doing incredible engineering and cutting science cutting edge scientific research there but as a kid I wanted to be the uh, the Neil Armstrong of Mars I wanted to be the the guy that set the first bootprint down on Mars and um, I, I think we have uh, uh, you know sidestep several opportunities uh, it is a daunting challenge to to go visit a another planetary body it's a long way there are technological and health risks that have to be considered but we have the, the wherewithal to do it. And in fact, I think what we've learned through the ISS program is that we can do it better by working together with our international colleagues. So I think that that's a really great uh, stepping stone for, I hope going back to the moon in the not too distant future. And uh, ultimately our, our human destiny is to go to Mars. But um, I think one of the, the problems that our, our space program has faced is that we have not taken the long view Things that are really hard have to, they, they take resilience, they take uh, a lot of time and focused investment. And each presidential uh, 
administration, and I don't want to point fingers at uh, and alienate half of the audience, but uh, um, but you know, with each each subsequent presidential administration, the the focus of the program has changed, and and uh, and that sets us back. So you know, we've had uh, earlier uh, goals of going uh, directly to Mars, then we were going to go to the moon first, and then on to Mars, then we're going to go visit an asteroid. Now it looks like we may be going back to the moon and and then on to Mars. Um, I think it's it's important as a nation that we set our sights on tangible, achievable goals and then work relentlessly to make it happen. And uh, independent of uh, who controls Congress, who controls the White House, let's let's create a 10-year plan as we do for NASA's science programs. And I think we can actually get there in you know 10 or 15 years. That's great. That I agree. That's exactly right. I'll pass it off to Ron. Ron, what do you got? Uh, hello, Scott, and uh, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you coming on. It, it's an honor to be on a show with an astronaut and a, a mountain climber and everything. Um, and I'm I, like Marcus. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a child of the '60s or whatever. I was nine years old when uh, Neil Armstrong stepped mm -hmm. on the moon, and my mother was so intent on me staying awake for the event happening and i think i nodded off and just saw the replay or whatever but um but on that note i want to ask you what inspired you to you know become an astronaut um is it a single moment or anything that a defining moment as they like to say well ron i don't want to make you feel old but i was seven years old that that night in july <laughs> um <laughs> july 20th uh uh, 1969, 50 years ago, and uh, of course, this is the 50th anniversary year, and that was a defining moment in my life. Uh, I, I uh, remember it vividly, um, and uh, even prior to that, um, in school, you know, that they would wheel the big uh, TV into the classroom when there was a launch, and then every kid on the on this on the block wanted to become an astronaut, and I just never grew out of that that goal, I suppose. It certainly was solidified when Neil and Buzz, you know, walked on the moon, the Sea of Tranquility, uh, on July twentieth, nineteen sixty-nine. But I'd already had the the, the inklings that uh, that's something that I'd like to do. And my father, I, I was very lucky. My dad worked on the Apollo program. He worked uh, for the Boeing airplane company, helping design and test the the first stage uh, and the F one engines of the Saturn V booster, that that mighty rocket that uh, uh, took uh, took the, the rocket ship uh, through the uh, densest part of the atmosphere. So the most powerful rocket ship ever made. And uh, so I, I had this front row seat to, uh, you know, the entire program. And uh, so that, that probably played a role as well. It's a great story. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I'm going to move on to the aviator uh, and just get some basics. I mean, I, I, I've looked around a little bit, but a, a lot of people in the audience may not know that. So I'm going to ask some basic questions. Um, as a two, I'll start with the two part of the aviator. It's only for DJI drones. And then which DJI drones will it work with? Uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, we had to make a, a strategic decision as we were developing this product. Uh, we, uh, a, an area where a lot of companies fail is they try to do too much too early. And so uh, if you look at the uh, the drone marketplaces, you guys are all experts, of course. But uh, you know, seventy to eighty percent of the uh, the world's drones come from one company uh, with the, the initials D, J, and I. And uh, so we uh, we built our first product around the, the software developer kit, the SDK uh, for DJI. Um, but we have you know a platform now that 
we can adapt for any drone in the world. That's going to take some additional uh, investment in, in engineering cost to uh, uh, to make that come about. But uh, it's the hard work has been done. So uh, for DJI, we're able to support from the Mavic Air essentially all the way up to the Matrice 600. Um, we uh, will support uh, the uh, the full Mavic series, the uh, uh, the Phantom 3, the Phantom 4, Inspire 1 and 2 the M200 and the M600. Um, there are certain aspects of uh, these drones that we're not able to, to fully implement at, at launch. Uh, the manipulation of some of the thermal imagery, for example, on, on some of those birds. And um, we're not able to uh, command drones that have built-in uh, monitors. So the, the Phantom 4 Plus versions that have the, the built-in monitor, we're, we're not able to, to sideload our app onto those controllers yet. Hmm. That's interesting. And um, so that would be, that would include like um, if you had the uh, smart controller for your uh, Mavic 2. We, we would not, we're not able to sideload on the smart controller yet. That's, uh, yeah. that, that's hard work. Yeah, mm -hmm. understood. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Bill, the drone reviewer is anxious to uh, ask a question. So I'm gonna, thanks for your answer, Scott. I'm gonna throw it over to uh, Bill, the drone reviewer. You bet. <laughs> like them, Scott, I'm a child of the 60s as well. And um, let me put it to you this way. Uh, I remember when John Glenn lifted off, um, my mother set a table in front of the TV and um, I watched that and was listening to Walter Cronkite and Wally Shira. And, um, you know, we would flip the channels to Jules Bergman on ABC. And it was just it was just an exciting time. And, um, you know, I think one of the questions that, that, that I, I, I'm really curious to ask you um, I follow a guy, um, his name is Kels and he has a, um, has a site called seven, four gear. He's a seven forty seven pilot. Mm -hmm. And what he does is he reviews avi aviation movies to say how authentic they are. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I guess that's one of my first questions is, um, you know, um, you know, there are just scads of movies out there. You know, there's Apollo 13, there's gravity, there was Mars with Matt Damon. I mean, all the movies about outer space, which ones would you say would be more realistic th than other ones? A great question. And, and I'll, I'll tie in uh, John Glenn into my response since uh, he was a hero of, of both of ours. Uh, um, and not to name drop, name drop, but I'm going to name drop, I guess. But one of the, the great thrills of my life is I got a chance to fly with John Glenn when he came back on uh, uh, STS-95 at age 77 to fly aboard the shuttle. And I, I got a chance to be his crewmate and be his wow. physician during that incredible flight. But uh, uh, the story relates to, to John Glenn. So the, the movie that is least uh, representative of space is Armageddon. Yeah. So I remember we were, it was right before the launch, this movie had just come out. And in fact, they, they had filmed a bunch of scenes actually at the Kennedy Space Center. So there's a lot of buzz and excitement for it. And we were down there for our dress rehearsal before the launch. It's called the Terminal Countdown Demonstration Test, or TCDT. And so we wanted to get out of our crew quarters and, and have a meal you know, down in Cocoa Beach. So we, we did that. We went uh, and saw the movie Armageddon together as a crew. And, uh, and everyone was in the movie theater was uh, you know, leaning in and with rapt attention. And uh, the seven of us, a part of our crew, we were all, you know, busting up laughing, and uh, they 
they didn't know what to make of us. You know, why were they laughing at this, uh, at, at this uh, you know, space movie? But uh, they didn't know who we were uh, until after the movie. But uh, yes, Armageddon does, is not at all representative of, uh, of space. The, <laughs> um, but my favorite movies, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, great, great movie. I love Interstellar. Um, Apollo 13 is, is certainly my favorite, though. They actually filmed much of that movie in in actual weightlessness. They actually flew an aircraft uh, that we called the Vomit Comet, but it's a it's a large aircraft, a KC-135 that could fly in, in kind of a porpoising uh, trajectory. And at the apex of each wave, the pilots would push the nose forward down on the plane, and we'd have about 20 or 30 seconds of weightlessness. And so Tom Hanks and uh, Kevin Bacon and Bill Paxton and the rest of the guys filmed the, the movie, the, the microgravity scenes in weightlessness. And so they were really true to Jim Lovell's crew and, and the, the actual happenings of that mission. And, uh, and they filmed it in an incredibly realistic way. So I, I just love, uh, love that story, but also the, the way that was shot. And I, I also love The Martian. I, you know, I, there, were, there were some things, uh, uh, the physics of, of uh, certain things are not representative uh, However, it, the movie really suspended disbelief. It, it really brought me in, and uh, I thought that was a great movie, too. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned John Glenn because I was living and working in Ohio at the time, and um, John Glenn was, you know, as, as you know, um, they named um, the airport in Columbus. It's John Glenn Airport out there. Um, one of the very neat things was they had a parade for him in Columbus, and I was standing up at the curb and he looked at me, he pointed and he waved. And I'll never forget that moment the rest of my life. That was just incredible. After after the after that mission, that was just absolutely fantastic. Um, Got to follow up, though. I, I, I do have another one. One of my favorites and Apollo 13 was one of my favorites, but I also like the right stuff. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. You know, th that just, you know, from going from Chuck Yeager um, you know, through all the Mercury Seven astronauts, I just, I just loved it because well, I read the book, and you know, you know, I, I know they take liberties in movies and everything, but you know, a lot, and, and this is what I try to tell my wife: a lot of those simulations and those tests, what they, what, what astronauts go through, are real. I mean, it's you know, they really kind of, you know, you're you're put to the test. Uh, absolutely. I think they create some of those tests just to haze us to see if, if we really want the job or not. But uh, yeah, I, I, as I described my, my selection, you know, they, they ran me through every medical test known to medical science and then some. Uh, but uh, I remember one that was really kind of funny. It was, uh, it was a test basically to uh, see if we were claustrophobic, but they put us in what they called this personnel rescue sphere. It's about the size of a a large beach ball and uh, completely opaque, so that no light gets in or out. And uh, they, they put electrodes on us in a comm cap and uh, tell us, hey, we're gonna have you evaluate this as part of uh, your selection process. Uh, just go in there and uh, make some observations and uh, we'll come get you in a while. They don't tell you how long they're gonna leave you in there. And uh, thankfully, I, I'm not claustrophobic at all. I fell asleep and I, I passed the test. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and now I'm going to switch switch gears for a second and about um, the FT Aviator. I guess one of my one of it's just it's just absolutely incredible. And I have and there's a couple of people who are in the chat tonight who um, who are handicapped. And when I first saw your 
your product online. I literally almost jumped out of bed. I was telling my wife about it. I said, you got to see this. And she says, what? And she looked, oh, it's, she goes, oh, it's a joystick. I said, it's oh. not just a joystick. Okay. Right. You don't understand because, you know, I, I know, for example, um, one of my friends, Mike Roach, and he's in the chat tonight, um, you know, he's paralyzed from the waist down. So um, one of the things that's important to him is precision landing with, with the DJI aircraft. And that's something I ended up um, calling the DJI's attention um, and they got the issue addressed with the Mavic 2 because I had almost crashed on my first flight because I was assuming it had precision landing. You know, that's a that's a necessary thing for him because, he, you know, he can't bend over to pick up his drone. Right. And, you know, seeing this come out, it, it's just it's just it's just mind boggling how the, the doors can be open incredibly to just so many people and even people with with partial handicaps or, you know, who may have, you know, um, you know, rotator cuff or who knows what kind of injury, you know, limits limits their mobility, but yet they still have a great a good hand and, and they can do that. That's just that's just incredible, Scott. I, I you know, I have to commend you. you on this. Well, thank you. No, I'm really excited to be able to provide this technology for those who who do have mobility issues because, um, you know, I, and and I would I would add that I, I think that the technology. Uh, improves the capacity for all of us to fly, whether you, know, you have the use of uh, your both upper extremities or not. But really what we've done is taken uh, the complexity of flying. You know, we've, been, we've been flying uh, radio controlled assets, drones and airplanes and helicopters with our thumbs since the 1930s. That's how they've always been flown. We've had no true innovation in, in control systems uh, for over eight decades. Uh, that's, that's really, um, where it where it stands, we've we've learned how to adapt ourselves to using both of our our thumbs and or or the pinch method uh, using two controllers, but uh, it, it's it's requires the the brain in our bodies to uh, to do an iterative uh, you know a little bit of this and a little bit of this ends up in a in a result of motion in our drone and if we can put it in a single hand. Um, uh, basically, our, our thumb tip becomes the virtual nose of the drone. So, uh, as long as you've got you know one uh, one hand that has uh, good range of motion and mobility, your thumb tip becomes the the nose of the drone. And anything you do with your thumb tip, whether you raise your thumb or depress it here, you know, depressing the trigger to descend, raising the thumb to to uh, ascend, or go forwards, backwards, left, right, or change the yaw. So, in a single hand. Yeah, you know, we, we're having purity, uh, purity of motion, and we also can feel in our hand the pushback of the of the spring force. So you always know when you're inputting a command in each of those four degrees of freedom. So there's no ambiguity. We our our minds know exactly what our thumb is doing, and by uh, by process of of logic, we know what's going to happen to our drone. And so I'm really excited to to help your friend, uh, one of my good friends. Uh, his name is Miles O'Brien. He's actually a the CNN turned PBS journalist. He used to be the the lead um, you know, space beat reporter. He would cover all of our launches, and we became uh, good friends. Uh, he lost his his uh, his arm tragically in a in an accident uh, while on location. A bunch of uh, uh, equipment fell on his arm. He ended up having a um, uh, compartment syndrome and needing to have a surgery to to remove his uh, his arm. And so now he's going to be able to, to fly as well. People who've had uh, you know, strokes and, and uh, have other reasons for 
uh, Challenge Mobility. They can mount it um, using a quarter 20 on, a, on an armrest or you know, some other adapter. I think we'll be able to fly just as well as anybody else. One more question and then I'm gonna, gonna pass it on. How long of a charge does the, does the joystick um, hold? How, how, how long can you use it before it needs recharging? Well, we, we designed the, uh, the, uh, the battery uh, for five hours of, of continuous flight, which is a, more than a, a long day of flying. If you're you know, you know, flying a battery, coming back, changing, and going back out, uh, that'd be more than a day's worth of flying. We, we actually have rigorously tested this device, however. We established that the battery will last on a single charge 31 hours. <laughs> so, so that, oh. that's uh, more than I would hope most people will be flying. So we're, we're in pretty good shape. And if that weren't enough, uh, Bill, uh, you can actually fly it on a brick. So we have a USB-C here, so you can actually fly it uh, while being charged. Wow. That's that. Yeah, you have unlimited, yeah. unlimited pot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Curtis, you you're up. Hey. Uh, well, first, I want to do a, a couple of things from the uh, chat over here. Uh, First of all, Drone Addiction said, couldn't miss this one. Eyes are burning. I'm staying up late to see Scott. So, Scott, some Thank folks you. in here really, really want to see you. And there's a lot of people that are commenting on the, the questions that we gave you earlier. They're really excited about the answers you gave. Insight like that into uh, an astronaut and, and somebody like yourself, their uh, things they've done in their life is just amazing. My questions and the things that I want to kind of bring forward about the uh, FT Aviator is uh, the lower portion of the Aviator. Um, so the camera controls... The uh, speed controls. I'd like to. I'd like for us to get into that because the thing that I like about the product is that you really don't have to go into the app anymore. Everything's in your hands. So if you want to elaborate on that for us, yeah, that, that's that's great, Curtis. Uh, thank you for uh, queuing that up because it, it is one of the real uh, disruptive elements of of the FTA beer. So that what we have in our dominant hand is the joystick or you know the the flight control, but in our non-dominant hand, that's where all the magic happens. You know for the camera control system. So um, you, as I said, flight becomes almost subconscious. And so you can really focus on the imagery that you're out there to get. And uh, I don't, uh, and, and this is not only my own personal wish, but talking to lots and lots of really experienced drone pilots, it's a real hassle to, to dive multiple layers deep in an app to, to change the exposure compensation and uh, you know uh, all the other parameters of, of flight. So uh, what we've done is we've actually, uh, made a lot of, we think, smart investments in uh, camera control. So on a traditional radio, you actually pull from side to side for uh, adjusting tilt. I always forget which way is tilt down and which way is tilt up. There's no ambiguity with FTA. If you pull down, your camera's going to go down. Hold it up just up. a little bit higher, just a little bit higher, yeah. Scott. There you go. So down and up. Uh, so it's, it's, there's no ambiguity in terms of uh, the, the direction of your camera tilt. Um, we also have a number of controls uh, uh, here on the side of the controller. We have uh, the, uh, the video start, stop, and then uh, the shutter for a camera. And then finally, up top here, we have a scroll wheel that you can toggle. You, see, you press down, you hear a click, and you can rotate through the, the ISO, the, the, the shutter speed, the aperture, the exposure compensation, the responsiveness of the camera tilt. And you, you see it all live on your app. And it, it's a really nice looking app uh, developed by drone experts, uh, our friends at Spark Aerial that we work with uh, very closely. So it, it's, it'll be very familiar to DJI pilots. All the stuff that you're, you're accustomed to will be in the same places, but then we have some additional things there that show you 
what you're changing on the fly. So you, you can be flying out to your worksite and getting your exposure just right instead of having to stop and then you know tap on your on your smartphone to get those things set up. That that's really that's really cool. Now um I kind of have a bone to pick with you though, because uh -oh. I spent probably a year learning how to orbit and do figure eights. And in my previous conversations with you, apparently it's pretty simple with this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You, you, you've mastered a skill that doesn't need all that much training anymore. I'm, it's, right. Uh, <laughs> can you yeah, can so you kind of go through the process so everybody will understand how easy it is to do now? It, it it's so cool. It, and you can you can get uh, you know your kids out there, your your wives or whomever who's who's not had a chance to ever fly a drone, and within thirty seconds you can have them doing a figure eight. I I, I promise you this. So a figure eight, all it is, it's a little bit of a forward motion and a little bit of a yaw, and uh, and that 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 will give you a perfect circle. You keep the forward tilt, and then once you get back to the starting point of the, the circle, you twist equally to the opposite side, and that will give you the figure eight. Um, it, it's really that, that simple. So a little bit of a forward stick, a little bit of a twist, that's your circle, then you twist it back to get your figure eight. To do a, an orbit, you a little bit of a lateral motion and a little bit of a, a twist in, and you're gonna orbit whatever it is on the ground. You can adjust the camera tilt to, to, to track your target, you can ascend, you can fly like a pro uh, within just a few moments of, of experiencing this thing as, as opposed to you know, spending weeks and weeks to, to really master the, uh, the twin sticks. Well, not only that, not having to use the app now uh, to get out there. And, you know, if you're in a professional situation with a, a, uh, a director who's standing over you saying, ooh, I just discovered another shot I want you to do. Can you orbit around the lighthouse now as opposed to just, you know, laterally flying up? Can you orbit now? It's not, you no more do you have to dial in the app and go find the function and, and dial everything. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll just do this right here. So yeah. it makes it, a, the, the concept and the, and the way it works just makes it super, super easy. One other thing you haven't covered yet is the rabbit and turtle mode. Yeah, right. So um, thank you for reminding me on that. So um, what we found is that, uh, you know, to, to really uh, make the most of a battery's worth of uh, capacity, you want to get to your worksite as quickly as possible, but then you want to really dial it down and, uh, and get cinemagraphic. You want to put the, the drone and the, the camera in jello mode. So we, we have, uh, you know, from one to five. I was tempted, I don't know if any of you guys are uh, Spinal Tap fans, but I was thinking to have it from one to 11, but okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we have it from one to five at our, or from uh, um, tortoise to hare. So really slow setting of one to a, a setting of five uh, up at the top. So you can get out to your worksite really quickly and then you can dial it back down and really put it into to a subtle mode so that you can get that perfect uh, perfect shot, that perfect inspection. Um, and, uh, and so we basically we have different response curves built in to, uh, to that element of the, uh, the base unit. And I, there's one other thing, if, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to talk about, which is our, our situation awareness display up here. And uh, uh, I hate to admit this, but I'll admit it on air. I have lost sight of my drone on occasion. It does happen in low contrast environments. It just happens. And so, you know, where is it? Well, we have uh, a ring of LEDs here that will actually show you your azimuth, where the drone is in the sky, and then an, another internal ring that shows the relative yaw. So, all you need to do is point towards your drone, straighten it up, and then you can pull it straight back to you as opposed to you're hitting the return to home button here on the on the controller or on your app to 
to kind of uh, you know get back in an emergency. I'd rather be in control and uh, and uh, the situation awareness display gives us that that capability. For the, I want to uh, interject for just a quick second. I'm I'm sorry, Curtis. Go ahead. Um, Manny Navarro had a great question. Uh, does the joystick self calibrate to the range of motion of the user? I'm sorry, Curtis. Go go ahead, Scott. No, go ahead. That's an interesting question. Uh, so we we uh, factory calibrate uh, um, the uh, uh, the controller, uh, so it'll come to you completely calibrated. Um, there are ways in which we could recalibrate uh, the uh, the sensors within this, but they should not need it, quite honestly. But uh, the range of motion of, of each of these axes is predetermined. So uh, we 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 uh, you know I think have plus or minus twenty two degrees, for example, on the yaw. That it's not going to be anything more or less than that. That's that's what we found to be very comfortable for most pilots. So we we built that as a as a result of human factors testing. So there there shouldn't be any need to to require any additional calibration. But uh, should there for some reason be a, a sensor drift in the future, we have the ability to recalibrate it. This would be a good opportunity for you folks in the chat if you have any questions about this to go ahead and drop those in there. We're going to get all these questions answered for you. Um, you kind of answered my other question about situational awareness uh, uh, as far as the the app on there. And one of the questions that's kind of coming up is how do you look at your tablet? Now, I kind of know the answer to this, so I'm leading you with this. Um, so I'll just turn that part over to you because you, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. So we, we have a number of uh, ways in which we can present the uh, um, the video feed from the um from your drone. So one of the options is by use of the uh, the included um, smartphone adapter, which uh, kind of clicks onto the side of the uh, device like this, and you can put your smartphone here. Um, but there are other ways in which we can do this as well. So what I I prefer to do um, is uh, is fly with uh, uh, say for example you're flying a Phantom or uh, Inspire or Matrice uh, generation. I like to actually put the tablet in that radio, and I, I like to fly sitting down. Um, so that's my preferred way of, of flying. Um, there, are, there are other adapters that uh, we are looking to distribute that actually would have uh, a tablet mount that would uh, sit right here, um, so kind of right uh, um, you know, mid-chest level. And then you would just have the, uh, the FT aviator free-handed beneath that and flying. So we're, we're going to be posting a number of uh, additional photos on our website in the not-too-distant future to show all the different ways in which people have uh, um, elected to fly. Um, a lot of people actually like to fly with uh, their FT aviator on a tripod base and then put uh, uh, their monitor on uh, a secondary arm on that same tripod. Um, lo lots of different variations possible. Uh, Lauren Donner earlier uh, is, I, so this would probably be the, the <laughs> Lauren Donner earlier from Canada asked, you know, it's a little tough for uh, the Canadian exchange rate as far as purchasing a drone or purchasing this, the FT aviator. Uh, currently, you're only releasing this in the United States. And this is, this is correct, right? Well, so we are actively working on our CE mark um, and we expect uh, to be shipping internationally to select countries in the third quarter of this year, so not too distant future, um, to include Canada. So uh, don't don't fear; it, it will be available to you very very soon. 
Um, there are some additional things that we, we need to do to uh, get through our, our CE certification, but uh, um, we're excited to provide it uh, not only to Canada, but to Europe, Japan, I believe Australia and New Zealand are among the countries that will be able to ship to uh, by Q3. Well, that was my question. So who, who do I turn this over to now? You guys have this turnover thing here. Is Are we going to Marcus? Yeah, go yeah. to Marcus. There you go. I've got... Uh... A, a couple of observations and, and an FD aviator question and another astronaut question. Uh, so the situational awareness thing is a big deal to me because like you talked about, Scott, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I had inadvertently yawed the drone and I didn't know which direction it was facing. So that's awesome. And thank you so much for that. The other thing that I'm really looking forward to is that paddle for controlling the gimbal so much I like that idea so much better than a scroll wheel mm -hmm. uh, it seems to me that it's going to give you a finer control of, of where you're pointing that camera to so uh so that's awesome one of my concerns and i'm looking forward to uh to receiving my FDA oh, sorry. sorry guys <laughs> getting a call here and i just discarded it but uh hopefully i didn't lose the line with you no nope, you you're me? still here you're still here okay good good so uh so you, you have to carry the RC with you, obviously, right? You're, you're hooked to the RC. How, how, do you, how do you carry that? Where, where does that go? And will you have some rigs available at some point that you can just kind of put it all together? It's a great question, and uh, you're exactly right. So the, uh, um, we are beholden to the, the native radio uh, that you uh, fly currently fly your DJI drone with. We we have not replaced the transmitter re uh, receiver, the uh, transceiver um, that comes with your your drone. Um, that's something that we would love to be able to integrate into the into future versions of this, but that's probably a couple of years off. Um, but it's it's really a, a non uh, non event. Uh, having flown hundreds of hours with this now, all all variants of uh, of the FTA. FT Aviator and DJI fleet. Um, so there are a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the ways that we, we've been shipping with, we um, may or may not continue to, to do this, but we do offer, at least in our first shipments, uh, a lanyard that you can see here. And this actually would clip into your, uh, your, your Phantom and Above style radio, or if you had uh, a Mavic style radio, uh, you would actually use a little mini belt like this that would sit around the waistband of the uh, of the Mavic uh, uh, radio, and you could clip onto it, and you could actually have this around your neck, and and your radio would sit uh, kind of at waist level, antennas facing forward, and you'd have really good communication with your with your drone. What I prefer now, actually, with the with the Mavic uh, uh, style radios with the twin arms, I actually just put one of the legs of the uh, of the radio into a, a pocket. And it sits there just beautifully. The antennas face forward, and uh, I don't have anything around my neck, and it's really not a factor at all. And I have complete mobility, and it's it's wonderful. Um, for the the larger radios, it has. Uh, I should have had one of the radios down here uh, with me, but there's a, a bar that sits underneath the, uh, the 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 Phantom and above radios. I put my belt loop through that, and so it sits on my waist on the side. And, uh, and so I'm completely unencumbered and I can, I can run around with my drone and, uh, and have, you know, have the, the flexibility I want for flying on the go. 
So there are, uh, are ways in which you can uh, support your, your radio around your neck if you want to, but uh, I think a lot of pilots are going to find that they like either putting on a belt or in a pocket or perhaps putting it on their tripod stand if that's the way they prefer to fly. Thank you for those tips because that's that's going to get me kind of ahead of the game a little bit. I've got both of those radios, so so that'll be good great, to know. Great. Uh, so now then, for as for the astronaut question, so I know on STS-95 you flew with John Glenn, and we were just, you know, all, all of us civilians, we know of John Glenn from the right stuff, like, like uh, Bill was saying earlier. Uh, can you kind of just give us a flavor of what kind of a guy was he and, and how was he to work with, et cetera? He, he's uh, one of our greatest Americans of all time. You know, he uh, um, was a humble hero, uh, um, you know, country before self. Uh, you know, you felt that being around him. I, I remember the, the first time he walked into our crew office, we had just been assigned. We're all you know, incredibly excited. He, he flew in from Washington, D.C. He was still a United States senator at the time, but he flew in to start his training. And I had met him before, you know, every couple of years we have uh, – reunions with all the, uh, the old timers, you know, and, uh, so I had met him and, uh, but now I, I was meeting him almost anew as, as a crewmate and he walks in the room and he says, uh, if any of you guys call me Senator Glenn, I'm just going to ignore you. I'm just John or payload specialist number two. And he, he meant it. I mean, he, 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 he wanted to be just a member of the crew. Um, no special treatment. He wanted to be a part of everything, no matter how menial, uh, you know, the, the, the least glamorous uh, maintenance jobs, he'd be the first one to sign up for it. He was just that kind of a person. He, he didn't have any airs about him. He was genuinely interested in everyone around him, appreciative of the opportunity to fly again. You know, he, he, he was uh, such a revered hero back in the day that President Kennedy said, you know, we can't risk losing our American icon, so you're never going to fly again. And that's really why he... He retired. I think he he's, he would have remained in the astronaut program had it not been for the the fact that he he knew he wasn't going to get a chance to fly. Yeah, so, kind of what happened to Yuri Gagarin in in the uh, Soviet Union. That yeah, identical. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Okay, Ron Brown. Um, Scott, I'm going to kind of segue on what Marcus was asking, like a deeper dive. Okay, so you explain how you know the 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 drones RC you can you have it on a, a lanyard or on a, a belt type of thing and it's still working. But how does the, um, the aviator connect with the RC? Does it wire or through Bluetooth or? Yes. So uh, a great question. So both is the answer. See, <laughs> uh, both. Um, so we, I'll, I'll, in fact, I'm going to take this opportunity to just to show you the app, just so you get a, a, a quick flavor for it. And then uh, hopefully this will, display for you. I can't really see my display. This is the landing page. This is kind of our, uh, our launch page. It'll show you the, uh, the whole network of assets that, um, that we use to operate the FT aviator. So from the left to right, it's got the, the, uh, the FT aviator, your smartphone, the DJI radio, and then the drone itself. And you, when it's all powered up, you can see the battery percentages, your, your connectivity, your return to home altitude, all that good stuff. And then you hit, uh, uh, I'll just quickly show you this. Uh, obviously, we don't have a video feed here, but this is your flight page with uh, um, all of your data up top from the top row and your ability to, to toggle between the, uh, the uh, DJI radio and the FT Aviator and a map. 
and uh, your camera assets over here. So it'll be very familiar to folks. But uh, um, getting to your question, the way that all this hooks together, we're Bluetooth from the FT Aviator to uh, the smartphone, and then we're wired. So in the case of an iPhone, it's uh, a lightning cable, USB lightning cable to your DJI radio, and then you know through the DJI radio up to the drone. So uh, Android, it, it uses a USB-C uh, cable instead. Okay, great, great. That that uh, that makes sense. Um, and and one comment: since you have this, you know, great aviator controller, and looks like you have a great app or whatever. Maybe someday, I know you can't say anything. Maybe that could be a drone in your company's future. <laughs> well, it'd be really cool to do that. But uh, boy, you know, knowing what I know now um, about how difficult uh, you know, bringing a new product to market is, especially a complex one like like this or a drone, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that we're at this stage right now. <laughs> but, Good answer. Um, yeah. okay, I got a, uh, an astronaut question. Uh, we talked about the right stuff and we talked about, you know, John Glenn, did you ever get a chance to meet Chuck Egger? Yes, I have. Yeah. And what a, what a great uh, storyteller uh, and, um, you know, amazingly down to earth guy he is as well. I, I met him uh, in New York City at a at a big event, and uh, he was receiving this award. And uh, you know, he 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 told stories of his early days like it was yesterday. I mean, we all felt like we were in the cockpit with him, breaking the sound barrier. Um, pretty amazing uh, human being. You know, the the bravery that those guys had back in those days when I don't know what the stats were, but uh, a lot of the flying machines that they were flying out there at Edwards. Um, you know, weren't ready for prime time. And they, a lot of the roadways that are, uh, as you know, uh, out there are named for pilots that uh, didn't make it back. And uh, um, they, they still went up the next day and, and flew again. So they, they were really brave aviators. Thank you for that, uh, Scott. I'm going to throw it back to uh, Bill, the drone reviewer. I'm sure he's got some more good questions coming at you. Scott, I, you know, I got an astronaut question and, you know, one of the things um, that greatly humbled my kids and I was when we went past the astronaut memorial down at, down at the Kennedy Space Center and, you know, um, just walking by and, you know, looking at some of them and everything. How was it for you? Um, you know, I don't you were you were probably in the program when when Columbia was lost. You know, it has to be such an indescribable feeling for you. Am I, am I right? It, it was uh, uh, the most devastating uh, uh, time of my professional life and, you know, and, and personal life as well. Um, these were uh, close, close friends and colleagues. Uh, in fact, in this particular case, uh, I was the, the family escort. Uh, Rick Husband, the commander of the mission, asked me to be there for his family and the, the other crew members' families during the, the flight. Uh, and so uh, you know, myself and a, uh, a few others uh, were there on the rooftop of the launch control center during that launch. And we took the families to mission control uh, during, the, during the mission so they could talk to their families on video teleconference. And we expected them to come home just as pretty much every other shuttle had done uh, in the program history, 16 days uh, into flight, but uh, unbelievably, uh, you know, the 16 minutes before landing over the skies of Texas, that shuttle 
had a breach in its left wing and uh, uh, there's a catastrophic failure. And, and not only did the shuttle not make it home, but our, our, our close friends didn't. And, and so it was a, it was a gut wrenching time for me personally. Um, and I, I really seriously considered hanging up my spacesuit, but I, I knew this, this crew in particular and, uh, and also from the families that uh, they would want us to continue the, the benefits of the work that we do in space uh, are worthy of, of taking risk. And, uh, and, um, and so it, it was really a, a galvanizing period in, in NASA's history where the entire agency gathered steam together and, uh, and figure, first off, figure out what had happened, but uh, vowed to never let it happen again. So you know, we, we worked uh, uh, countless hours, uh, almost nonstop for two and a half years, developing tools and techniques to make it safe to, to fly the space shuttle again. And so um, I'm really proud of the, the work that the entire NASA team did to, uh, to get back to, to flight, but also to honor that, that great crew. You know, I and personally, this is coming from me. Everyone who has ever stepped on board a spacecraft and has been in outer space or has been a part of the program has been a personal hero to me because, um, you know, and you said it, you know, the, the, the benefits that we get from the space program are incredible. And, um, you know, it just it just it was gut wrenching. To hear those words, you know, I, w I was watching the broadcast and waiting for Columbia to land, and you kept hearing Houston, you know, radio com check, and it was just in dead silence, and it was just, it was just horrific. But thank you for taking the time to share that because I know, um, you know, it, it was a hard time, but yet, and and I'm so thankful that you decided to stick with the program and 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 help things out. So thank you, Bill. Appreciate those those words. You're, you're, you're very welcome. Um, back to the, back to the aviator. Okay. Um, I've been, uh, par, I've been in computers for 30 years. That's been my career. I started out as a developer programmer and now I do quality assurance testing. And, you know, I, I test software every day, um, uh, for the best supermarket in the Southeast public supermarkets. There's a plug for my, my company <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, my question is, how did you quality assurance test the aviator? Because I have what I, what I follow. It's called we call them test cases, okay. And whenever we make change to the software, you know, we follow. It's a routine set of things that we follow, you know, A through Z to make sure that when we put this back into production, that it's going to work, and we're not going to get a call from our from the from the vice president of IT saying, "Why isn't this working?" So, can you kind of walk me through how you um, how you test an FTA aviator? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, yeah, we come from kind of the same uh, you know rigorous uh, test background, Bill. So, you know, in the space program and also in medicine and areas where I've worked, you know, failure is not an option, or at least it's not a good option, right? So, uh, you have to be really rigorous in in the testing that you do. So, we have been uh, really uh, 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 anal retentive, basically, uh, really rigorous in the, in the approach that we've taken to our testing. So we, we have done uh, life cycle uh, testing. We've put these things on robotic rigs and uh, done you know, tens of thousands of cycles, you know, more than a, a year's worth of daily use uh, uh, cycling to make sure that the uh, mechanicals work. Uh, we've defined and, and tested to all the what we call corner cases uh, for our app and firmware to make sure that 
every combination and permutation of uh, a flight experience um, won't result in some unwanted behavior, for example, a flyaway. Uh, so we've, we've made our, our highest uh, priority to, to fail safe. And that was always uh, a criteria in the space program as well. Um, it, in areas where you need redundancy, you build it in, but, but always find ways to, to fail safe. And so we, we have tested uh, exhaustively. Uh, I can't say that we're going to launch all of our, our code and we're going to be without bugs. Uh, you know, I, I've flown hundreds of hours of, of the FT Aviator across uh, the entire DJI fleet, but there are going to be people who have a, a slightly different configuration, a slightly different Android or Samsung phone or whatever, and it's got a special function and it's going to do X, Y, or Z. And, and we'll learn from it and we'll... We'll we'll deal with it, but uh, I, I feel really good about the uh, the rigor in which we've you know, tested these things, and uh, yeah, when we when we do make a, a change to the software or or to the mechanical systems, uh, we have a test matrix that we run through, and and it involves testing every major function of the uh, the mechanicals and every major function of the uh, the software to uh, to assure that it's going to behave uh, in a predictable way. And I guess in conjunction with that, you know, and then and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll get to the everybody else to get some final questions in. Um, as far as you know, I, I know DJI is big on on having tutorials, and um, for me personally, I've gotten great response from them on Twitter as far as their support is concerned. So, how are you going to be following? You know, uh, as far as will you be having a set of tutor uh, a tutorial? on the FT Aviator and how's your customer support going to work? Uh, great. Yeah. Thanks for that, uh, that question, Bill. And, and in fact, just last night I was out uh, filming uh, two tours. We have a, a whole series of how to videos, you know, from, uh, from the unboxing to, you know, um, we have, we've not posted this yet, but uh, a walk through the app, um, you know, getting to know your FT Aviator kind of, uh, you know, fly like an ace is what we call this particular, uh, uh, lesson that we're about to post, but, you know, how do you really get to, um, master the, the FT aviator, um, mastering the, the, uh, the camera systems. We've, we've got a, a number of, of tutorials that will be on our YouTube channel. So we'd, we'd welcome people, uh, uh, subscription to, uh, to the fluidity tech, uh, YouTube channel. Awesome. That's fan. That's fantastic. Um, now, as far as support is concerned, um, are you going to have, uh, um, you know, is it, is it going to be uh, by phone, online? Uh, how's that going to work? Uh, initially, we will have online uh, um, customer uh, service, and we have a, a, a fully uh, populated uh, uh, FAQ, uh, frequently asked questions, and then we'll be using a, a, a Zendesk. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, yeah, I have heard with, of uh, Zendex, but uh, you know that's our kind of our customer service platform. So um, there will be uh, people that will be manning the uh, um, the inflow of, of uh, customer service questions, and for things that uh, need to be elevated, uh, you, know, you might be talking to me because it, it, you know, the level two uh, um, you know, questions, if, if they aren't you know simple to respond to, they'll they'll either talk to myself or. Uh, my director of manufacturing or, or my, my CFO and, and co-founder. Uh, so, how is that for customer service? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> talking to talking, talking to the man himself. 
Um, Curtis, let's 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 do a last round of final questions and thoughts, and um, then we'll 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 kind of close up here. Yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, I want to I want to go to the chat over here. Lauren Donner has a great question for you, Scott. Using the uh, linking system that you currently have, is there any sort of lag whatsoever from? Uh... Yeah, yeah, great, uh, Lauren. So the the uh, there is no perceivable latency in the hands of uh, you know dozens and dozens of pilots. Uh, we we actually sample from the FT Aviator to the uh, your smartphone at about 100 hertz or 100 times a second. So, you know, when you input a command, it's going to happen um, imperceptibly, um, you know, out on your drone. So it, it, it's really crisp and it's responsive. And, and my other follow-up question, uh, I, maybe I'm lurking here a bit, but I followed on your YouTube channel where you recently had a chance to fly the M600 using the FT Aviator. Uh, what was the experience like that? Because it was a short video, but... One of the things that I've always been concerned about because I've not flown the M600 is it's circular. So I'm thinking, how do I keep what's forward, what's back? You know, uh, what was your experience like? It. I I loved it. You know, it, what's what's so cool about the M600 and flying with it, the the uh, FT Aviator is it, it it's nimble. You, you wouldn't imagine something the size of a kitchen table or almost a kitchen table uh, can zip around that quickly. But you know, you, you're 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 moving around. Like a fighter pilot, and uh, and so as you move your your hand, if you've got it set up at five, you can scream across the sky, and you can do really tight uh, figure eights and and orbits. And I just I had a grin on my face. Uh, you know, I've I've had a chance to fly it quite a bit now out in San Diego, and uh, I I love the platform. The the situational awareness, you know, the the nose versus the uh, the tail of the ship, it's it's really great with our our FT Aviator because we we always know. Where that nose is based on the the feedback that we have on the on the, the head of the the controller. So I never felt you know lost. I, I could always tell uh, where it was, even if I couldn't see the position indicator lights. If it was at a distance from me, I always had a really good sense of of uh, direction of travel. That's awesome. So I guess I, I should pass this off to Marcus. Perfect. Uh, well, Scott, you've really answered all of my FT Aviator questions. And by the way, I've been lurking on the YouTube channel for a while. So I think I've watched most of those videos. Very excited about it. Uh, but I have kind of a two-part, another space question. So I know on STS-86, you stopped at Mir. Yeah. And I know you trained on the Soyuz, too. I'm interested in your, in your opinion of the Soviet space hardware. And then also, we're looking forward now you know, Boeing has uh, the Starliner, and then of course SpaceX has Dragon. I'm just, I, I, I know you probably didn't personally work with that hardware, but I'm sure you have an opinion on it, and I'd love to hear it. Sure. Well, getting to the the first question, that comparing and contrasting Soviet versus or Russian hardware with uh, American, uh, it's interesting to look at a, a Soyuz capsule today. It's really not that far afield from Yuri Gagarin's uh, Vostok capsule. I mean, it's been slow evolutionary improvements over over time. So when you look at a Russian weld, for example, um, I mean, it's beefy, and the and the structure is just you know it's bomb proof, you know, and and you realize it. Whatever you do to it, it's probably going to do okay. American technology has been uh, revolutionary in its stepwise gains, and so they've used computer aided design and and uh, um, fluid physics and and finite element analysis, and they've They've designed technology to, to meet the requirements with a safety factor. And so it's, it's sleeker, it's more efficient, uh, 
they both do this, the same thing. They support human life in a very uh, dangerous, unscripted, challenging environment of, of outer space. But um, it, they are quite different. Um, some of the life support systems overlap a little bit, but uh, it, it's 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 quite striking when you when you look at a, uh, for example, uh, Elon Musk's uh, um, capsule, the Dragon capsule versus uh, uh, a Soyuz capsule today. They're they're almost uh, unrecognizable um, in in the way that they've evolved. But uh, um, looking at uh, oh, just getting. Uh, one more observation. So, uh, um, one of the things that the, the Russian program did extremely well, I think, was in their evolution of their space station. So they 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 started in the space station program about the same time that we did with our Skylab. The U.S. program, of course, went off into the wing flight and developing the space shuttle. But uh, we've learned a lot from the the Russians, and I think vice versa. And it's it's been a very strong partnership. They've helped us. We've helped them. And I, I do hope that international collaboration is the way that we go forward, you know, back to the moon and onto Mars. So, um, but uh, your, your second part, uh, contrasting Boeing's uh, uh, Starliner versus the, uh, the Dragon, um, I think both have uh, great potential. I understand that uh, you know, both of them have some technical, technical hurdles before they're ready to support the first crews, but uh, you know, quite honestly, I would fly on either one of them if they would let me. <laughs> um, but uh, so they, would they, I. yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't think either of us have that option right now, unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, so my closing thoughts. Gosh, I just can't thank you enough for spending uh, time and in, in answering. Uh, you know, just a, a, a guy that flies drones answering my questions. So, uh, with I'm that, it. Thank you, Scott, and I'll pass it off to uh, Ron. Right. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, I'll make a comment before I ask a final question. I just want to thank you, Scott, for you know your service to the space program and being brave. And this is coming from somebody who takes a four-hour plane ride to Florida and can't wait to get off the plane because you know it's too much for me being in the air. That thing. So I mean, I really admire what what you've done with the with the space program. Again, I want to thank you for. Because, again, as a child of the 60s, I've always been interested in the space program. I always loved the sci-fi movies like we talked about, 2000 when Space Odyssey. When I saw it as a kid, I didn't understand it, but I still thought it was great. You know, just great to see it or whatever, just the, the tech or whatever. But my, my, I guess my last question will be about the Aviator again. Um, we talked about the price, and so we kind of know the ballpark price. But uh, I, this is another two-part question. Um, when do you think uh, – you know, customers will, will get the aviator in their hands. And the second question is, will, will big time YouTube channel reviewers get it first or will it go to the, the customers first? Uh, well, first off, I want to say thank you for your, your kind words. And it, it's certainly an honor uh, to serve. Our, uh, and I, I, I was very fortunate to be in the right place in the right time to do that. Um, but in, in terms of the, uh, the aviator itself, uh, we are shipping. In fact, the um, the first products are on their way to uh, um, uh, our Kickstarter uh, uh, supporters uh, based on the order in which uh, they, uh, they backed us. Um, there are a number of uh, thought leader uh, review uh, units that are also being uh, shipped out. Um, they're, they're a separate um, lot of, of controllers, but uh, um, for, the, for the, the product that uh, – um, has been 
manufactured. They're already on the way. They're, they're being shipped in uh, in a kind of a rolling list. So um, you know, our, our first pallet uh, um, is at the distribution center at FedEx. Uh, another pallet arrives, I think, tomorrow, and then uh, we have another pallet that arrives uh, early next week. So I mean, it, we're, the the churn is on, and and of course, uh, you know, the orders continue to roll in. But we hope to be caught up uh, with uh, uh, all of our customers uh, within the next uh, uh, two to three weeks. Great answer, Scott. Th thank you so much. And uh, I'll sure. it back to uh, Bill. Scott, again, you know, um, I'm going to get I'm going to get to my questions here in a second. But I do want to want to, again, echo what Ron said and what Marcus. We really do thank you for your service to your country. You know, my, my dad was a veteran, a World War II veteran, and um, I'm very proud of people that serve their country. And, and you did that. Um, you know, you did this, um, you know, uh, for, you know, it, it's just the, the good that has come out of the space program is just, you know, I, I think at times immeasurable. So again, um, you know, personally, I, I want to thank you, you know, you and everyone who has stepped on board a spacecraft and worn a uniform has, is a hero to me. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, an astronaut question. Okay. You know, we, we, we see a lot in the movies, you know, what liftoff is like. And, you know, I remember seeing the movie uh, recently about Neil Armstrong uh, and, you know, the, the intense vibrations, you know, uh, gravity pushing down on you. Just in your own words, what what did it feel like? It's the most exciting, you know, roller coaster ride of your life. It's uh, it's sort of like being on the steepest roller coaster you've ever been on in your entire life. But it, it lasts for eight and a half minutes. So uh, you, know, you go from uh, zero miles an hour on the launch pad on your back uh, to 17,500 miles an hour in eight and a half minutes. And, and you're, all the while you're, you're being you know, squeezed back in your seat. Uh, uh, for parts of it, you're at about three Gs or three times your normal body weight. Lots of noise and lots of vibration, especially on the first stage when those two, two uh, white solid rocket boosters are on board with us. It, it, you know, our heads kind of bobble on the uh, on the flight deck. It's sort of funny to watch the video, and it's kind of tough to, to even see the uh, the displays in front of you and, and see the uh, the text because you're uh, there, there is a lot of a lot of vibration, but uh, just a, a really exciting visceral ride, and uh, and then uh, you know, it's it's almost magical when you hit main engine cutoff or Miko. You, you feel like you're you're lurching out of your seat, flying out of your seat. And uh, you look out through the forward uh, windows of the space shuttle, and you can see the the blackness of space overhead and the the curvature of the Earth below. It's uh, it's like an out of body experience. It's 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 really wonderful. That is that is absolutely incredible. Um, and 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 now back back to drones. A couple of questions regarding drones. First of all, what is your favorite drone, and why? You know, I I. Uh, I I've changed my perspective now. I've flown a whole bunch of uh, different drones, but uh, I really love the Inspire series of drones. Uh, just their uh, their maneuverability, um, their power, um, the the camera systems that are available on them. So uh, um, they're they're not the easiest to travel with, unfortunately. They're quite large, but uh, I, I really love uh, the Inspire series. Um, but uh, I've also had quite a bit of time with the, the new Mavic uh, 2 series and what's packed into that that little gem and the fact that you can you know pop it in your backpack um, 
it, it's it's really a, a wonderful tool for a lot of things, not only for hobbyists, but for for professional enterprise. And uh, one of the, the things that I'm most passionate about is getting uh, those types of tools coupled with an FT aviator into every uh, every squad car, every fire rig, every search and rescue crew car. Um, we, we can make drone flying accessible and and really help a lot of people. And so um, I think that the the Mavic 2 Enterprise platform coupled with uh, an FT aviator really makes it possible for almost anyone uh, with uh, a modest amount of training to to do a lot of good with drones. So um, I'm kind of waffling there between the, the Inspire series and the Mavic 2. <laughs> that, you know, and, and I don't blame you because I've, I've flown both. I've flown an Inspire 1, but uh, but I, I agree with you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased. I have a Mavic 2 Pro and, um, you know, and also a Phantom 4 Pro, but it just, the Mavic 2 Pro is just time and time again. It, it just never ceases to amaze me. And I guess my closing question is, is, is this, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, we, we the drone market is, has reached at what I, what they call a saturation point that there's nothing else that can be developed that we're, you know, that we, we have all the bells and whistles that we're ever going to get on something. And, you know, you know, I was taking that for what it's worth. And then I had Sally French on. Now, Sally French is known as the drone girl. She's out on Twitter a lot. Huh? Um, she's a fantastic ambassador, you know, whether male or female for drones and for hobbyists. And you know what she told me? I asked her the same question. And the answer that she, got, she came back to me, she says, Bill, it never ceases to amaze me when DJI comes out with a new drone. Her for her words that came out of her mouth, she says, Bill, that I'd never thought that they could do that. And they did that. And, you know, and, and I think the same here is to Scott. What, what, what would you what would you say to that? I think these are incredibly exciting times to be in the, the drone uh, drone world and uh, to be alive just in general. The, the, the advances that we're seeing in technology. Um, the, the new capabilities that we have with technology are, have never been greater. The, the, the rapidity at which we can innovate um, is just uh, unparalleled. And so whether it's a new technology like ours that will open up human potential, you know, making it possible to, to, to fly things that would otherwise have been impossible for most people. Um, I, I think our technology, um, not to make this all about uh, fluidity, but um, the ability of one pilot to control many, to control swarms um, with minimal amounts of training, it's going to open up, you know, vast arrays of, of capability to, to make, you know, human machine interfaces uh, interactive with automation and robotics. Um, the really exciting things happening there, I think, uh, with sensor technology and advances there, signature recognition, um, artificial intelligence and deep learning. It, the ability to extract more from our environment, uh, to do more, ever more complex things. I think it's really exciting time to be uh, in the drone world. And, uh, you know, I, I think humans uh, by nature are inventive and creative and. Uh, Whoops, I think we lost Scott there. Yeah, we lost Scott for a second. Did Am I still with you? Yeah, okay, you're okay. Okay. Well, I, I was just wrapping up that I, I just saying that, uh, you know, I think next year we're going to, we'll have the same conversation and we'll probably say the same thing that uh, next year, what could they possibly come up with? And we'll be, we'll be blown away again. Well, what I'd like to do is have each one of you stop, start with, with Marcus 
And then, you know, um, and then after Ron, we'll have Scott give his closing thoughts and then I'll go ahead and close things out. So um, if I could just inter interrupt for one second, I'm sure going to get my, um, my power cable so that I don't run out of juice. Uh, oh, please do. So I'll, I'll be back in 30 seconds. Go for it. Man, this is just phenomenal. Uh, it is it is so great to hear Scott's uh, opinions. I mean, it's exciting about the FT Aviator, and then to hear his experiences is uh, is just beyond awesome. Yes, uh, I could not agree more, Marcus. Uh, you know, somebody said in the chat, we need to have Scott back just to talk about his experience as an astronaut. We need also have him back to talk about his experience on Everest, too. I mean, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, um, we'll go ahead and we'll start with with Curtis and then Marcus, Ron, and then Scott, and then I'll 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 wrap things up. Well, I, I just wanted to say, Bill, thank you very much for asking me to be on tonight, Scott. This is a, a second time that I've had an opportunity to talk with you. Uh, again, I, I seem to always learn something new about the FT Aviator. I'm excited to have it on my, on the way here pretty soon, but. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for thinking outside of the box. Uh, we've in some aspects, we're really jumping ahead in technology, but it seems like in certain areas, we're not thinking out of the box. And this is this is one of the uh, products that is uh, on everybody's horizon. They're, they're really excited about this. So thank you for doing that. And Bill, again, thank you for ha having me on the show. I always come, enjoy coming on. Oh, Curtis, you know, you're 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 always welcome. Any anytime. Um, and, and I'm and I was so thrilled. When you asked me, she said, do you want Scott on? I said, I couldn't say yes fast enough. Okay. <laughs> the, only th the only other thing I want to add is uh, Drone Owners Network Live. We're not going to be on this weekend because the wife and I are doing a little getaway. We're going to be coming back very, very strong. And uh, I've got a second show because I'm having so much fun doing these live shows. I'm going to be starting one on my channel, the Drone Squad TV. So uh, stay tuned for that. we got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, Marcus. Okay, so you know, like I said earlier, I just—it's just phenomenal uh, to be able to uh, ask a, an astronaut like you, Scott, questions. And thank you so much for uh, uh, indulging us with uh, with a, a bunch of questions and answers. And I am beyond excited about FT Aviator. Uh, you know, as a 63-year-old man, uh, you know, you get a little bit of the shakes or whatever. Those joysticks are tough. The, the little the little gimbals, I mean, on the on the, so that so having that joystick is going to be is going to be awesome and really excited about that and i gotta put a plug in uh i need to tell you scott my dad is a 87 year old father is a stanford grad too so i i needed oh, to right. that in there. and uh bill the drone reviewer thank you so much for uh for having me on the panel tonight as well always a pleasure to be on your show and pass it off to ron Thank you, Marcus. Yes, I want to, you know, thank uh, again, thanks Scott for being on the show tonight. It was great having you on. Uh, I want to th uh, thank uh, Bill, the drone review, for inviting me to this show. It was finally great to be on a show with uh, Curtis. We've uh, kind of yeah. been sort of, uh, crossed in the night or whatever and never met up, but we finally landed on the same show. And I have one su clo closing suggestion for Scott. I think it would be great if he, either you or somebody from your company could come to um, spin up in Austin, Texas on October 19th. It's a drone meetup. You're going to have some of the most uh, well-known people in the drone community there for uh, an all-day event. And it'd be a great opportunity to, to show the aviator off to many influencers and many customers right there. And a lot of these people are going to 
you know, uh, take videos and put it on their massively popular, popular YouTube channel. So just a suggestion, you know, um, and I will be there that day. So if you, you are there or anybody from your company's there with the aviator, I'll be sure to get video of it and post it on my, uh, channels as well. So, um, I'll close out with that and I'll throw it to, I, I, I guess Scott, it goes to Scott. Yeah. Well, Scott for some closing thoughts. Oh, well, thank you very much. That, that's a great suggestion. I, I, I had not heard of spin up, but, uh, we, we would love to be a part of that. And Austin is in our, our backyard, really. It's a, we're neighbors. And, uh, actually my son lives in, in Austin. He just graduated from, from college at Baylor and he's got a, a great new job there, um, in Austin. So it'd be a great, uh, opportunity to go visit him too. So I, I'd love to be part of spin up. Uh, thank you. We'll, we'll put that on our radar immediately. And, uh, just for me, I just wanted to thank all of you gentlemen for uh, the, the honor and the opportunity to, to present here on uh, on uh, your show, Bill. It's uh, it's been a great dialogue, and I, I appreciate the the great questions. And uh, yeah, we we look forward to uh, to helping people uh, get the most out of their drones. And uh, so we're we're very accessible. Um, um, we think we've uh, brought a, a wonderful product to market, but uh, we'll, we're always looking to make it uh, better. So. Um, you know, we, we look forward to you know, feedback from the community, things that you'd like to see in, in the next generation. But we think that this is a, a couple of generations ahead in capability for, for pilots. We think it's going to give uh, professional and novice pilots alike the opportunity to, to, to fly like pros and to get uh, the best imagery possible. And uh, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, look forward to, uh, to seeing you out on the flight line sometime. Well, hopefully, um, you know, I'm I'm going to be at spin up, so it would be wonderful to see to to see you there. I have a couple of things that I'm going to send you, and um, you know, if if um, you know later on in the chat or by email at buildadronereviewer at gmail.com, if you can go ahead and send me a mailing address, I have a build a drone reviewer coffee mug, and I also have a build a drone reviewer polo that I would love to be able to send to you for being on the show tonight. Fantastic. I will, I will do that right away. Thank okay. you. <laughs> um, you know, um, also I want to let everybody know I have links not only to fluidity, but Scott's personal website um, where you can learn just about everything you've ever wanted to know about Scott and Scott, one of the, one of the questions or one of the comments in the chat I, I was noticing said, somebody said, or can, can you have Scott back just so we can ask astronaut questions? <laughs> and, and I said, I said, you know what? I said, I said, you know, that would, that would be a wonderful idea. Scott's a busy person, but maybe we could probably have him back sometime. For we that. could probably do that. You bet. Yeah, that you would bet. be, that would be great. Scott, I personally, I want to thank you for taking the time to get on the show. Um, and Curtis, you know, I'm only as good as my co-hosts that are on tonight. And I have the th three of the best here with Curtis, with uh, Marcus, and with Ron. Um, you guys are exceptional. Um, and, you know, I want to make sure, you know, to watch Drone Owners Network. Um, you know, uh, Curtis said, you know, they're not be on this Saturday. But they'll be on a week from Saturday. And Curtis is going to be starting up his own live show. Make sure you check that out. Um, there'll be links in the description to do that. Um, there's links for Marcus's channel, um, Idaho Quadcopters and also for Xeno Nation and also for Ron's channel. So definitely check those out. Definitely subscribe. These guys do a fantastic job. You know, please make sure that you do that. That's a great way that we thrive on your watching us and 
and you you give us this wonderful encouragement. Um, you know, Scott, we're very anxious to to see the aviator. You know, you will you know absolutely get all the plugs in the world from from this channel, and I'm sure Marcus and Ron and Curtis will do the same thing. You know, whatever you need from us, you know, you have um, you have advertising ad nauseum because this is a product that's going to make a difference in people's lives. And also, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned was about getting in the hands of, of like first responders as well, too. And, and I think that's going to just be absolutely exceptional and top notch. And I want to thank everyone who tuned in tonight to watch us. Your co the comments in the, in the stream were exceptional. Thank you so much, guys. Um, if you have any additional questions, you know, please leave them in the comments section or email me at buildadronereviewer at gmail.com, you know, and we'll, we'll get them forwarded to Scott. And when he gets a chance, hope, you know, we can get those answered for you because I know a lot of you had some additional questions here regarding that. But again, I want to thank everybody. Scott, hang on. I'm going to close. And when I close, ju just stay on. Just okay. don't close your screen out. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll chat for a minute. I want to thank everybody again for watching tonight. And, you know, um, you know, check out this product. If it's something that interests you, um, you know, it, it's, it's exceptional. It, it's just, uh, I, I can't, I can't wait to see and to try one out myself. So, but anyway, want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight and remember it's a great day to fly. See you next week.